Hi, this is Siegfried from Visions of Atlantis, and you are listening to Metal and High Heels Podcast. You're listening to Metal and High Heels, the official podcast from the magazine about metal, lifestyle, and entertainment. So, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Metal and High Heels podcast. My name is Kiki. And my name is Steffi. <laughs> and today we are welcoming uh, Siegfried Sama from Visions of Atlantis and uh, Dragony to our virtual studio. How are you doing today, Siegfried? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to the podcast. Yeah. Um, so first of all, let's just uh, get here and um, and take a breather because uh, we haven't talked to Steffi in a while. Uh, she just moved to Aachen. And um, so we're hoping that you're going to be back on our podcast uh, <laughs> more regularly again, right? Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> yeah, it was a busy time the last few weeks. That's true. Yes. And you were also at uh, the Dong Open Air Festival uh, two weeks Ex ago. Exactly, yeah. It was great, yes. It was a good festival. I was there for the first time. And so, yeah, I was even more excited how it is. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's a small festival. It's not that big. And uh, there's only one tent uh, or stage tent, one stage in the middle of the yeah camping site almost so you have short ways that's very very great you have oh, no cool. long walks for i don't know toilets or beer or <laughs> stage whatever it's everything it's very near and uh yeah it's um i think the most interesting thing is that it is upon a hill a little mountain <laughs> they say mount moshpit and Yeah, so you have uh, a very, very beautiful view all around. You have um, the whole uh, Ruhrpott, we say in German. <laughs> it's an um, yeah, old industrial area. And beautiful sunsets we got in the evening. Very, very beautiful. Cool. And yeah, it was also a little bit holiday because there, were, there was lots of uh, forests around. Otherwise, this area is um, yeah more uh, relaxing area for the people in the town, and so just good, yeah. And also, of course, good bands. Uh, the skin uh, skin red gig was just wow. <laughs> um, was was good. <laughs> the audience were almost uh, went uh, they got they went crazy. <laughs> was very much fun. I can imagine. Very cool. And you can read all about that uh, by the end of this week. No, wait. When this podcast goes out, it will be online already. So you can already <laughs> read everything about Dung Open Air Festival at metal-n-highheels.com. There you will also be able to find all of the show notes for this episode and, uh, of course, all of, our, all of our social media channels, etc. And the new uh, thing about our website also is we have a um, merch store and it's linked right on the top on the navigation bar and then on the store you will find um, a couple of t-shirts with some of our own designs that you can wear to festivals 
So we will keep talking about festivals. Um, what ha what festivals have you gone to, Siegfried, already this hot, hot summer? Yeah, this summer uh, we started with um, Metal Fest in Czech Republic with Vision of Atlantis. Mm -hmm. uh, in June, then we had uh, Masters of Rock again, Czech Republic with Dragony two weeks ago. And yeah, and today after tomorrow, I'm heading out to Wacken. So I'm very much looking forward to that first time playing Wacken. Oh, amazing. That's a big milestone, I guess, in, every, yes. in everybody's. for the bucket list. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right. So tell us a little bit about your background, because we want to talk to you today about music and law. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your work. Yeah, so uh, I got my law degree from the University of Vienna back in 2010. And uh, after some sort of internship at the courts of Vienna, uh, I yeah I started looking for a job. And luckily, uh, AKM, which is Autoren, Komponisten und Musikverleger, so authors, composers and music publishers, which is the Austrian Collective Rights Management Society for music composers and, and authors' rights. Mm -hmm. uh, they were looking for someone for their online department. And yeah, I just applied and yeah, I got really lucky because I was just, you know, fresh out of university and no real uh, experience yet. So I was kind of lucky to, to get the job, I think. And I'm still working there now. Uh, going to be seven years now, start in at the 8th of August, it's going to be seven years. Cool. Happy anniversary, work anniversary soon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do you have a favorite part about, um, about this subject? Well, uh, the, the really nice part is that it allows me to combine my university education with uh, my passion, which obviously is music. And uh, uh, yeah, it's really nice to be able to work with musicians and an artist. And uh, it's also interesting to see that, you know, of course, people who are usually artists, they are not so keen or not, not so uh, informed about the whole legal aspect, the business aspect. So it's always nice to be able to help. Uh, you know, some fellow musicians, if they have some questions and if they want to know something or if they want to expand their horizons and want to understand uh, the business behind the art. I can imagine. Um, does the topic also, does it work the way around? Do you uh, sometimes uh, work these um, very interesting uh, subjects into your music, into your lyrics, maybe? Actually not, no. It's uh, it's still law at the end of the day, and it's not really. Uh, I think it's especially not really suitable for the kind of bands that I'm in. So with you know with Visions of Atlantis and Dragony, it's all a bit more romantic and fantastic, and a little bit more uh, you know escapism. So it's not really so based in in and grounded in, in contemporary reality, if you want. A little bit more with Visions maybe than with Dragony, but even there, it's still uh, much more fantasy focused. So I think if I was in a in a metalcore band, you know, or something like that, that have more, uh, you know, political uh, or, or yeah, society critical um, elements in their lyrics, then it would probably be working. But I think for the bands that I'm in, it's not really suitable. <laughs> yeah, don't want to bore my audience. <laughs> <laughs> you have a good point there. <laughs> Before we get a little bit into into more detailed questions about the 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 matter, um, you mentioned something that's been kind of following me around this summer: uh, the fact that um, all of these, yeah, political subjects and uh, 
the critique of society in metal. Um, what's your position about that? Is it something like, uh, do you feel it's kind of a duty to, um, or from artists to uh, take statements or, or, or take a stand on, on such uh, subjects, not, not necessarily in lyrics, but in general? Um, I would say like from a, from the musical point, I think there should be both. There has always, there's always been artists who were very critical about society, you know, thinking about the singer songwriters, like starting from Bob Dylan, uh, Joan Bass, who was just, I think, uh, was just doing her, her uh, final tour. So this is uh, a very, diff uh, very important aspect, <laughs> even within the music. Uh, and obviously a lot of, uh, artists are also very vocal about their opinions, And they're using their popularity to to promote them, uh, which is not always good. I think. Um, I mean, of, obviously, it's good that they can share those opinions, but obviously, not every artist will be, uh, you know, the most thoughtful person. Might not be the most uh, politically sensible person. You you never know. You know, for for every, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to insult anyone <laughs> right now, but for every. Uh, I don't know, uh, musical Mahatma Gandhi, you will have a musical Donald Trump. So, mm -hmm. yeah, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> oh, that was a very, very diplomatic way to put it. <laughs> well, I'm a lawyer at the end of the day, so I have to be. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Um, yeah, it's it's super funny because uh, this all started when uh, Pia and I were at uh, Tuska Festival in Finland uh, a month ago. And... Um, which, by the way, uh, the, the live report of that festival is finally online. It took us a long, a long time, but it's finally uh, done. Um, yeah, so there there was this uh, panel, right? And uh, the panel was supposed to be about about this, um, how, how uh, metal is more critical than other genres in, in the whole music industry. Well, it and certainly is. Yeah, I, I will agree with I will agree with that. But obviously, even within the metal genre, you have very different subgenres. Some of which are more uh, suited to to the political statements than others. Like, for example, as I've indicated, with like you know cheesy power metal like Dragony, like we do with that, uh, it just wouldn't work if I tried to put in some social criticism there. I think that it just like would be yeah. contradicted uh, or perverted or distorted by the very happy nature of the music. But uh, especially if, if, if you're playing more, you know, metalcore or death metal or thrash metal. Thrash metal, I think, has always been very uh, socially critical. So this, those other genres where you literally have those, those kind of more aggressive feelings and then those, uh, those kind of sentiments. And I think that works really well for political statements, which always need a very uh, rough and very passionate emotional uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think maybe it comes with the with the punk influence, not only musically, but the the the, the themes, the the lyrical themes also uh, affected the the music that came later or that came. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. But if you if you take a look at uh, Gerard Martin, for example, even his super fantastic texts are very political at at points or reflect a political side of history. Definitely, but uh, depending if, if you want to look at a especially historical side, like if you go back to more uh, medieval times, which I think is more reflected in his works right now, uh, would you go so far as to say that he writes about contemporary politics? 
I don't really read that in Game of Thrones. <laughs> like I'm, I've never read it, honestly. But <laughs> <laughs> you're, I, I, I neither do I see it like in, in, in the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, sure. it's very interesting, very entertaining. I would not see any uh, really current themes reflected therein. Maybe he will work them in in the future, but right now I don't really see that. It's not yeah. my interpretation, at least. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I think there are a lot of um, very basic topics like, um, yeah, almost um, slavery, for example. And that's also today. It is a political topic because it still exists. And so I think there are always some basic topics like um, unjudgment, ungerechtigkeit. Injustice. Injustice, Injustice, yes. Um, (laughs) There's always um, some injustice somewhere in the world. And so um, I would say you can critical it almost every everywhere and somehow i mean if, if we go farther back than gerard martin if we go to uh tolkien actually uh as you know he was very um i think influenced by the events of the of the first world war and uh, uh also he was very conscious about environmental destruction mm-hmm. and and there was a lot of that reflected in his works, you know the whole the whole war themes, the destruction of the environment in the, the sequences, you know, with, with Saruman and the ants and stuff. I think that's yeah. definitely that's in true. there. So yeah, I think you can work it in um, for, within within a metal context. I think it, of course it's possible as well. Um, and and you always need to put in some uh, some subjects that have emotional weight. Doesn't have to be political, but can be you know uh, on a more philosophical level as well. I think that plays together as well. Um, me personally, yes. I don't uh, work with political themes in, in my lyrics. Uh, Clementine from uh, Vision of Atlantis, she, she's more into that and she wants to, I think, approach more contemporary subject as well, which is fine uh, and definitely has its place. Um, but you just have to, to see what works which, with which songs as well. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely interesting. And it's very important, I think, to, to get back to, to the initial question. It's very important that bands do that. doesn't necessarily have to be my band that does it, but it's great <laughs> that there are many bands out there that, uh, uh, that do this kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, that's true. Cool. So let's go now to your uh, uh, subject of, uh, of your expertise. Um, can you explain for us uh, copyright like in uh, two sentences? In two sentences. Copyright is uh, the right that uh, belongs to creators of works of art. And it determines what those creators of works of art uh, can do with their works and how they can decide about what other people can do with their works. I think that is the very very short definition of, of, uh, of copyright. Yeah. yeah, that was great. Um, one thing that I have always, uh, wondered about is, uh, covers. Yeah. How do covers legally work? Um, it's, uh, when, you know, when, when you ask, uh, a lawyer a question, any kind of question, you will get, uh, two, uh, one of two answers. Uh, the one answer is it depends. And the other answer <laughs> is basically yes, but. <laughs> so with covers, it depends. Uh, usually it is, if, if someone has written a song and you want to do your own version of that, 
if you just played, you know, at, at like a concert in some uh, village and, and it's just a couple of hundred or maybe even a thousand people and you just play it and that's fine. No one will ask a question. But if you want to do a recording of that song, if you want to publish it on a CD, if you want to publish it on the internet, be it YouTube or your website, then technically, if you want to be 100% correct, you would need the permission from the original uh, composer to publish your version can be a permission that you can obtain from the creator directly or if he, if you don't have access to that creator which with big stars will not always be the case or if the the composer has already uh, passed away uh, then it's usually the publisher the music publisher who decides about the publishing obviously of cover versions uh, there in practice uh, it has been sort of established that if your cover version is very close to the original um, musically speaking. So if you like have uh, a pop song from, I don't know, Helene Fischer, yeah, and you play that same song in the same style uh, just with your band or your, uh, or your musicians, however you want to do it, then it's usually not a problem. You don't always have to go to the publisher and ask for permission. Uh, it's usually enough to just get the license from the collective management society, like, for example, GEMA in Germany or AKM in Austria, uh, in order to, uh, and you pay the collective management society and you get the license to publish uh, that version on your cd or on your website or wherever you want to do it oh cool but if you want to be 100 sure it's always recommended even for a one-to-one -one cover version to talk to the publisher first otherwise you run the risk that if you you know for example make a thousand or two thousand or three thousand cds with the cover version on it and then the publisher dis discovers okay listen you did this cover version i don't like it you have to and i never gave permission so you have mm -hmm. to destroy all those three thousand cds so yeah. th that's a real danger so if you want to be sure I recommend talking to the publisher first, and usually they will not have any problem with you doing a cover version. Because they uh, they will obviously get some uh, royalties from that version exactly. somewhere else, right? Okay, so um, all right, so one gets a license from the publisher because so that they also get the uh, royalties, the money that you mm -hmm. do for them, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so that's good for them. Why? Would someone, aside from uh, I don't like you and your music or I don't like you and your political sta statements, why would someone uh, say, no, I don't want you to cover my song? Uh, that's uh, the basically you answered your, your own question. Like it's, it's usually the case is where you say, okay, maybe this is an artist that someone does personally doesn't like or maybe he has a different kind of political view or maybe they want to use the song for some, you know, political motives uh, that you're not comfortable with. Uh, this is all grounding the so-called moral rights of the author. Mm -hmm. So the composer has a very personal right because the work that he created is very personal to him. So there is a last, basically a last boundary of everything. So even if you obtain a license from the Collective Management Society and you like legally would be allowed to just reproduce the song because you paid the fee, mm -hmm. then there's still a possibility that the publisher or the original creator of the work, the uh, composer, can still say, okay, no, I don't want that guy or this girl to do uh, that cover version because I don't like them, I don't like the version, I don't like the way it's being used. So this is a last resort. Uh, that's really a very personal decision. And, you know, artists can be complicated sometimes, and sometimes they will just say, okay, yeah, I, I know I would get some money from that, but uh, I don't care about the money in this case. Uh, it's my, my personal integrity and the integrity of my music is more important to me than the money that I would get. 
Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's great. It's, it's a great, it's a great thing that uh, artists still have that right um, to veto that kind of stuff. Uh, it was great, for example, because it moved uh, certain bands to take a political stand when, uh, when the Trump campaigners wanted to use their music, for example. For example, like it goes back to the 80s when, you know, Bruce Springsteen had his big album, Born in the USA, and, uh, you know, American presidents and presidential candidates wanted to use it for their, uh, their campaigns. Mm -hmm. But actually, the song Born in the USA is not a very patriotic song. It's a very critical song, you know, about the Vietnam conflict and whatnot. And, uh, of course, Bruce Springsteen was not very comfortable with them using the song for their purposes. So he, mm -hmm. uh, you know, said guys that's not how it's meant to be and this is what i don't want to want you to do with my song yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i think it's the same with uh with donald trump i think it was uh d snyder i think it was uh we're not gonna take it that donald trump wanted to use and d snyder later distanced himself from mm -hmm. from that uh, please correct me if really i'm wrong remember. but i think it was it was the yeah uh yeah but i was also thinking because um <clears throat> the same as you were saying the same a kind of a model of licensing works for uh, bigger uh, tours and uh, performances, right? What do you mean with uh, it, the same kind what of licensing a, works for tours? What about a tribute band when it's not only one cover, but a whole bunch of covers? Yeah, well, usually uh, if that is, again, the, the job of a collective management society, whenever a show is taking place or a festival, then the promoter of that show, the organizer, will have to obtain a license uh, from the collective management society to hold that event or hold that festival. And he will have to pay royalties uh, in order uh, to obtain the licenses for a so-called public performance. Mm -hmm. Because if uh, an author or a composer is a member of a collective management society, one of the rights that he uh, transfers to that society in, for him to, to represent is the right of public performance. So whenever there's a public performance of one of his works taking place anywhere in, in a certain country, that, that collective management society from that country will issue a license to the promoter and say, okay, you want to play this guy's song or, or a band? doesn't have to be the, the artist himself. It can be the artist himself, but it can be a third-party band as well, like just saying it's some cover band uh, or a tribute band they want to play this guy's song, then yeah, you need the license from us because it's a public performance of that song or those mm -hmm. songs. And we have the rights to those songs for public performance in Germany or in Austria. Uh, so they pay. And uh, then uh, the artist, whoever plays uh, the show, so the performer, they will fill out uh, a certain form like a GEMA, GEMA form or, or AKM form where they write, just write down uh, which songs they're playing from which composer, which artist they, that originally wrote them mm -hmm. and they send them to the Collective Management Society. The Collective Management Society collects the money from the promoter and distributes the money to the uh, composer of the works that have been played. So that's yeah. basically the job of what a Collective Management Society does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about this specific uh, case of uh, Manowar and their old woman tribute band. Did you list, uh, did you hear about that one? W Woman of War, I think it's yeah, from yeah, the yeah. Uh, Sound of Thunder guys, right? No idea. Yeah, but I think that the singer is is it's a uh, Nina Osequeda? Is is that her name? I didn't really <laughs> die that. But much. anyway, they they were trying to do a uh, Manowar cover band with a female yes. singer, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah I heard about this. And, and Manowar said no, right? Yeah, they even got sued and everything, I think. Yeah, because, of course, uh, it's not a, not just about the music, but it's about the whole image, especially if you're a band like Manowar coming from the United States, where you can like just really trademark and, and uh, copyright protect a lot of different issues. So not just the music, but also, like for example, the band logo and the whole gimmick, the name, you know, everything that along those lines. And you have to understand that the copyright system in the United States and also in England, so the Anglo-American copyright system, is quite a bit different to the European, the continental European system. So okay. in, uh, in the US, you can or actually have to register a lot of more rights uh, than, than in Europe. For example, if, you're, if you write a song in Europe, according to European copyright, you have the copyright in the moment that you create the song. And no one can take that from you. Of course, you will be. You need to sort of uh, be able to prove that you've written a song at a certain point, or, or you know, made a certain picture at a, a certain point in time. But like, just legally speaking, the moment you create uh, the work, it's yours. Uh, in the US, it, it's sometimes a little bit different, where you actually need to, you know, register musical works at a, you know, sort of a copyright and patent office, and it's. It's just a bit different, a little bit more complicated. That's also the reason why, uh, you know, if, if you do something in the US, you will get sued for a lot more money than you will get sued in, in Europe because they have a sort oh. of very different system of, of punitive damages. Uh, but that's very specific and, yeah, I think not too interesting for for most people. But, yeah, it's... Uh, um, I'm, I can understand because men were there, very difficult people to deal with in the first place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they just are very protective of their trademarks and their brand. So okay. unless, unless you reach out to them first and ask for permission, they will get mad and they will get pissed off and they will sue you. And that's what they did. Damn. And uh, I think it's the same there. There's, uh, there's some uh, Rammstein tribute bands. And I think they also usually are in contact with Rammstein management themselves just to, you know, get the permission and, and get the okay from the management that, okay, your tribute show is on a certain level that, that does our music justice and that does our show justice. And unless you have that, they will not allow you to be called an official Rammstein tribute band or a cover band. And with, wow. Which is the same, same, same kind of thing, yeah. I had no idea. So... Uh, covers and tribute uh, bands are the <laughs> are one of the big things where you should really rather ask for permission than for forgiveness. <laughs> yeah, I would say. I mean, in, in Europe, it's not that bad, I think. But if you're, especially if you're talking about American artists, or if your your own band is American, then it can be really, really dangerous. <laughs> so, I mean, in general, it should not be an issue. But and and if the bands are cool, then it's also not be, uh, really an issue. But if if you're dealing like with bands like Manowar, who are known to be very difficult uh, in 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 business dealings, um, then you should be doubly careful. I would say. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's nice. You have a very uh, optimistic <laughs> side of everything. That's very cool. But I mean, you you know you know about what you're talking about, so uh, that's a very big advantage. Yeah. But uh, since when has the whole uh, copyright system been uh, around? Uh, it started basically in the late 19th century uh, and its origins trace back to France uh, because there was a, it's, it's sort of an urban legend which I think has been sort of disproven as, or by now. But it actually ha- came down to 
if we, if we want to follow the legend to three uh, French composers sitting in, in a restaurant or a cafe at some point in mm-hmm. Paris. And there was, there was some musicians there. I think it was like around 1850 or something like that. And there were some musicians there and they were playing one of the works from one of the composers. There was actually a guest there and he didn't know that. So uh, when it was time for them to pay their bill, they said, no, listen, I'm not going to pay for the coffee because these people here and we're, we're playing my music and I don't get any kind of money for that. So unless I get some money for that, I'm not going to pay for my drinks. So in that sort of situation ultimately led those three guys to found the SACEM, which is the French uh, Collective Rights Management Society, which then in turn is the oldest collective management society worldwide, founded in France in, I think, 1853, 55, something like that. I would need to look it up right now. And the second oldest is is actually AKM in Austria. That was the second one that was founded a couple of years later. Cool. Yeah. And then the whole thing... Really started, you know, with, with uh, uh, it traces back. Actually, you can go way back to the invention of uh, the the printing press by Johannes Gutenberg, mm-hmm. uh, which also obviously made it possible to easily reproduce music sheets, so sheet music for for concerts. And mm-hmm. later on, with technical advancements, of course, we got you know the vinyls and everything like that. So whenever whenever it got easier to reproduce. Uh, music like be it in audible form or be it in written form that sort of made it necessary to sort of monitor that those reproductions and and to see just where is my music being distributed where is it being played because i as a musician if it's being played i sort of want to have some benefit from that because Mm -hmm. if it's popular and if people want to hear it and people pay uh or go to a restaurant and you know pay for beverages or pay even for an admission just to hear my music then I want to participate in that. So that was the whole idea of the copyright system. Yeah. Wow. That was very insightful. Uh, I'm learning a lot here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that was exactly my next question. So after the whole... Okay, so you have told us now this is over a system that's over 150 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, times have obviously changed. And more so in the past... 30 years and after the whole piracy era which also changed a lot of the of the minds of consumers mm-hmm. right and which made uh, made it possible for us uh, millennials and everybody younger to uh, more or less feel almost entitled to music for free and you know changed the the economics of the music business completely mm-hmm. um how is it still evolving accordingly? Is it still, uh, or, or is, or are there any, uh, I don't know, any intentions of changing the copyright so that it doesn't well, the, um, stop the digitalization of the world so much? Yeah, I mean, like uh, copyright laws have been changing and evolving ever since they were first created. Obviously, as you just said yourself, it's, it's absolutely correct that uh, the the faster technical or technological progress. Uh, speeds up uh, the, the faster also the copyright needs to evolve the problem is mm-hmm. that technical advances uh, and advancements and, um, and progress will always be way faster than legal advancement because what uh, the you know the, the lawgivers of any country or in, in our case also the European Union what they need to do what what uh, constitutional or, or just written law basically has to do is cover a lot 
of different cases in as concise a wording as possible. So uh, it's virtually impossible to create wording within laws and legal texts that will cover all eventualities, uh, especially when uh, the the factual framework uh, changes, like the, or the te- technological advances change the factual uh, uh, situation on how, for example, music is being used. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the biggest challenge, and that has been the problem for many years. And why there has always been so, sort of this this fight between the the user and consumer on the one side, who think, yeah, I can download everything from the internet, and it's super easy and super free. So why should I pay for this? Uh, because it's just technically possible, and there are not really, or for a long time, have not really been any efficient ways to prevent that. And on the other side, you have uh, the, the the rights owners, you have the creators, the creative people who spend a lot of time learning the craft and, and perfecting their instruments, perfecting the mm-hmm. songwriting, spend a lot of time and money to re- make recordings and to try to promote those recordings. Uh, and obviously, they feel cheated out of their uh, out of their uh, rewards Perfect. when yeah. uh, their works become popular. So it's it's very difficult, uh, or it's been very difficult for the law to catch up to to real life to the real life situation, because obviously it will just take time for a, a certain new law to be passed. Usually, you know, it will take two to three years uh, for a law to just you know be designed, be written, and then be passed through all the legislative. Uh, systems that it needs to pass in order to actually enter into force so by the time a law that is created for a new situation is in force it's already three years too old and the situation will have changed again so you're always yeah. sort of just stumbling behind a bit and, and that's that's a big challenge for for the legal experts to sort of find solutions to that uh, to find legal text and to formulate legal text in a way that they will survive for a long period of time and uh, as long as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe they it shouldn't uh, be, you know, <laughs> surviving as, as much as long as possible. Maybe we live in such a fast-paced world that uh, I don't know. The system should be a little more f- flexible and changing more. There's this uh, myth, at least here in Germany. I don't know if it's a myth, <laughs> but um, there's like this. Um, general thought i think that every that all of the laws that have to do with the internet and with the digital world are so old because also the judges passing them are so old and don't really keep up with technology would you agree first of all uh misconception here uh, judges do not pass laws in continental european systems Uh, Mm -hmm. if you look at the united states or even uh the anglo the um the UK, it's there where you have case law, where the laws are actually made by judges. This is not the case for continental European law, like, for example, German law or Austrian law. Here we have the legislative bodies, uh, which is basically parliament, for for Austria, for example, and Mm -hmm. the parliament passes uh, any kind of new laws that will then be published. And the judges who... uh, have to decide on some cases later on they just have to apply those laws so that's a bit of a difference here mm-hmm. but yeah so it's not just and and if you look at the ministries for example the ministry of justice where some legal texts will be uh, will be designed 
it's not just old people in there, you know, so there will always be younger people as well. And some people who are in touch with the newer developments, because, you know, old, old people get older and at some point they have to stop working and yeah. younger people will follow. So it's, uh, it's not as drastic as it may seem. Um, the real difficulty is, and this is the principle of why we have laws in the first place, is that every law, not just copyright law, but every law means uh, sort of striking a balance between different interests. And it is quite evident in, in the copyright law discussion where you have very different interests. You have the interest of the consumer who wants to have as much music as, as he wants at the lowest cost that he that that's possible, ideally for free. And on the other hand, you have the creators of that music who, who of course, want the music to be popular and want people to hear it, but at the same time, they also want to sort of have some rewards if uh, their music is popular and they need something to live uh, off and to create new music. So that's the, the two big uh, points of, of, of interest, if you want, on the different um, camps here. That where, where the legislation needs to find a balance to between yeah. those who want everything for free and those who want everything to cost everything. So, and you need to find a middle ground that works for both sides. And it just can't be, uh, it's just not okay to say, okay, internet makes everything possible, but just because everything is possible doesn't mean that everything is right. Just That's because true. I have the tools doesn't mean that every way I use them uh, is, should be okay. legal and should be permitted. If you look, for example, at, at the use of a crowbar, you know, yeah. you, a crowbar is just a piece of metal. But And if I use it to repair my car or to open a box that I've bought, it's fine. But if I use it to break into someone's house, it's no longer fine. So mm -hmm. it's always how you use it. And, and the Internet is nothing else but a tool as well. And it needs some regulation as well. Otherwise, there will be anarchy. And, you know, those who have the power will then control those who don't have the power. And uh, it will just lead to basically Chaos. stripping the uh, creators of their rights that they have uh, because they created something, and that's can't really be the solution either. So it needs to be it needs to be a balance, a middle ground. I totally agree. Yeah. Would you have any I don't know any ideas, any proposals of a system that would uh, <laughs> make everybody at least a little bit happier? <laughs> Well, um, one idea I think that, that is very prevalent in the, in the American system is the so-called fair use. So mm -hmm. that whenever someone uses music for non-commercial purposes, it, it needs to fulfill some, some requirements, you know, just for private and non-commercial uses and stuff like that, that they don't always need to obtain a license for that. Uh, this, these systems, that system does not exist in the same way in the European legal tradition. The European legal tradition whenever there's an exception to a rule of, of copyright, when, for example, you are permitted, uh, even under European law, to make parodies of works. Uh -huh. But uh, those, those rules, those exceptions to, uh, to the rules, they need to be explicitly mentioned in, in the legal texts. Whereas in the U United States system with the fair use, you have a very broad definition of what fair use can be. So a lot of stuff can be, can, can be called fair use. Whereas under the European tradition, you need to fulfill very specific requirements and only very specific uses uh, are so-called free uses. 
Okay. Um, and yeah, it could be an option to, you know, think about introducing a system similar to, to the United States system that would allow for more of those free uses. But that's, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's one of the options that you have. Okay. Because you are obviously in a, in a, in a, I, I think it must be sometimes a kind of a weird position. I don't know, because at least the, um, how did you call it? The collective uh, agency, at least the German one, the GEMA, yeah. was hated for a very long time. Not very popular. I know we were. Exactly. It, it depends on you know on, on the perspective. Like we're popular, obviously, with the artists. We're not popular with the promoters. Uh, we're not not necessarily popular with the users because uh, the users. Uh, It, it's often portrayed the way that that we make life harder for the users, uh, like the end consumers. And, mm -hmm. and in fact, I think who we really make life hard for is actually like you know promoters of concerts, of shows, of, of owners of bars and restaurants who play music. Basically, everyone who actually uses the music in a public way, uh, because they benefit from the music. Because if you have uh, you know a, a town fest somewhere, a festival, and you don't have any music, no one's going to show up. If you have a bar or a restaurant, if you don't play music, people don't enjoy it as much. And you yeah. know everybody knows that. So, uh, But at the same time, music, since it's everywhere around us, from, from TV to radio to the streets, when you have musicians playing there, to concerts at every corner... Um, It's something that's always there and it's always present. So people tend to forget that there's someone behind that who who has to create that music, who has to write it, who has to record it, who has to invest time and money to make it and to promote it. And they just think, okay, it's there all the time anyway. So why do I need to pay for it if I want to play the radio in in my in my restaurant? Or why do I need to pay for it uh, if there's a band playing at my festival because I play I, I pay some money to the band anyway. They get a fee anyway, so why do I have to pay to the collective management society as well? So there's not much of, of an understanding there. So yeah. I think that's, that's really natural in a way from, from the consum consumer perspective, but that's also why it's so important to have organizations like, uh, like GEMA or like AKM uh, to do basically that dirty work that's not very popular, but that helps uh, the creative uh, people to, to survive. That's true. Yeah, and uh, here in Germany, there's actually even a new one, C3S, and it says uh, Cultural Commons Collecting Society. Yeah, that's different, yes, yes. Which means to be a, a, an alternative to GEMA, and it says here, is going to be shaped collaboratively, co collaboratively by all members based upon full and equal voting rights for all. Yeah. And wow. uh, it was... Uh, here. Uh, it is intended to uh, be founded as a European non-profit collecting society managing musical works which are released under creative commons, non-commercial and other free licenses, including yes. those under no li license at all. Yeah. Uh, so that is a different system. It's the so-called creative commons license uh, which usually means that a license uh, is given to a user for free. So for example if I compose a song And mm -hmm. I say, okay, every, everyone can use this song as long as they write my name under it and, and let people know that I was the original composer. So, so mm -hmm. they don't have to pay me, but uh, I at least want to be mentioned. And there's also different types of Creative Commons licenses that you can issue. So you can say, you can do everything with my song. You can make cover versions. You can uh, make remixes and whatnot. You just have to write my name. So that's one possibility. You can also say, okay, 
you can use my song, you can make a cover version, but you, you're not allowed to do, to do remixes, for example. So there's different kind of licenses that you can give. It's essentially the same thing that I've explained when we started our discussion about the so-called moral rights of the author. Yeah. So whenever someone does a cover version that is very different to the original, it's uh, basically the, uh, the composer or the original creator of the work who can say, yes, it's okay for you to do that, or say, no, I don't like that, you're not allowed to do it. And that's nothing else than we're talking about here with the Creative Commons license. Mm -hmm. So it's just a differently organized uh, society. Um, okay. And what's also interesting to know is that you cannot be a member of both. So you cannot be a member of GEMA at the same time that you're a member of C3S. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to basically decide what kind of licenses you want to give or what kind of uh, rights management regime you want to follow. But it's, it's the same kind of idea that just works with different parameters. Okay. And which one would you personally choose? Well, uh, I'm sort of biased. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> That's true. In, I'm in the AKM and GEMA system right now. I'm, I'm working for AKM, which is the Austrian sister society of GEMA. So it, it works on, by the same rules. And um, this is obviously where the more established and, and older system. Um, the C3S is, is more still of an experiment. Because the problem is... Mm -hmm. It, all these, these creative commons licenses that sounds nice and sounds fine, but at one point people will want to earn money. And when it comes to that, that's when it gets difficult. Yeah. And then C3S, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting concept, but we still have yet to see if it can grow to a size that's, that really matters in, in, in the grand scheme of things and also how it's able to handle all its members' rights and how all its members can earn money. Mm -hmm. by using that system. True, true. Cool. I have a, a different question now uh, yeah. before we pass to other different questions. Um, so crowdfunding is a big way uh, nowadays has established yeah. itself to fund, to fund uh, albums and other, and other projects, for example. And um, some artists offer their fans a co-writing function or role as a perk. Mm -hmm. Does mm -hmm. this affect the intellectual property rights of the end product or even the fact that the fans are, um, are supporting financially the production? Does it play a role in the intellectual property? Well, it, it really depends on what the, the, the this this co-songwriting element really entails in a, in a particular case. Because at some point, maybe a band just says, okay, I'm going to put you in the booklet and your name will be written there. But when I go to the Collective Management Society, GEMA or AKM, and where I register my songs, I will not write your name there. Then mm -hmm. it really doesn't matter. But if it's actually really sort of uh, a, a sort of a financial deal where you say, okay, You're a, you're a fan of my band. You give me a lot of money now. You're basically a sponsor, which is which crowdfunding is. So you're mm -hmm. sponsoring me and you're giving me I don't know two, three, five thousand euros. But in return, you get not just you know an album and maybe a signed poster, but you actually get a part of the earnings of that album. So you will actually be like songwriter. You get songwriting credits, and whenever we play that song, or whenever the song is played on the radio or in the internet, and whenever our collective management society collects some money, you will mm -hmm. get a part of that. So that can definitely be a deal. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that was possible. Yeah. Would the artists have to, uh, I don't know, write a contract for that kind of stuff? I mean, you 
don't have to have a written contract because under European law, even like just oral contracts are binding. But obviously, it's always recommended to just have something in writing just to be able to prove it at some later point if there is any sort of dispute. So like if there's, for example, a dispute uh, 10 years down the road where that, that crowdfunding supporter says, yeah, uh, listen, guys, I, I, I bought that perk and you told me I was going to get uh, 50% of the songwriting credits, but in truth, it was only like 25% that was agreed. So it's good to be able to prove that later on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, from a more general standing point, it's always also... Uh, a good recommendation that bands and musicians have uh, all kinds of legalities in order, right? Yes, and everything in writing. Okay. Always everything in writing. And that's the first thing that every musician needs to learn. And most of them learn it the hard way because most, most of the time, you know, a, a young artist will run into some dubious producer and they will rec record a single and then... Uh, it, it may be successful, it may not be successful, but then they have no access to it and the producer doesn't want to release it and blah, 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 because there was never anything uh, really made clear in writing. So whatever you do, whenever you, even if you if you found a band and, and you want to do your first album, just write down like who is a member of the band, who is uh, contributing in what way, like if everyone is ch uh, chipping in some money, write down uh who pays what kind of money and what they get in return like if everyone gets the same songwriting credits or if someone gets just less songwriting credits or does not get any at all all these small things uh agree on that before there is any trouble and then you have no trouble in the end that's a very that's some very good advice I mean, that, that goes for everything in life. It's not just copyright, but for, for artists, it's especially important because artists, uh, musicians are a lot, uh, often very idealistic yeah. and, you know, they want to do it because of the art and because they love the music and because they love to perform and stuff like that. And they don't often think about the fact that it's also a business and in every kind of business, you know, you have the black sheep and they will, you know, try to rip Take you off hand. and try to scam you. Mm -hmm. So it's always good to be... Uh, very careful when making your uh, legal deals. Yeah, that's true. Do you take care of all the legal stuff in your bands? Uh, for Dragon Air 2, for Visions of Atlantis, we have our band boss, uh, Thomas, who is, as you know, is also the CEO of Napalm Records. So he has a very good network uh, uh, within the business. And obviously, Napalm Records also has their own lawyers. So I don't need to, to take care of that. Thankfully. <laughs> cool. Yeah, must be a little weight off. <laughs> yes, that's it. Cool. You also had a very drastic haircut recently. Yes, Tell I did. About it. <laughs> no, it was just, uh, you know, I'm not getting any younger and neither was my <laughs> hair. So, uh, yeah, it was about time to, to make a bit of a change here. I've had long hair now for 10 years. So, yeah, it's, it's okay. I enjoy it very much because it's so much less work and so much easier to handle. So, yeah, I'm really happy. <laughs> I can imagine. And also just at the right time because um, it was, I think, um, right before the summer started exactly. and the summer has been so heavy. Now's the time. <laughs> yeah. Did you donate your hair? Uh, it wasn't long enough for that, unfortunately. Oh, I was really? thinking oh, about, about it. I, I would have needed to grow it, I think, another 20 centimeters or more. And, uh, yeah, I, I was not going to do that because it looked, when my hair was too long, it looked shitty. So yeah, it was difficult, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, but it's a nice idea. And I think our, our other guitar player, he's uh half Japanese. So he's very thick, dark, 
uh, hair. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he's, he's, he's going to do that when it's long enough. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, I don't think uh, everybody knows that uh, you can, that there's that possibility, you know, and that, um, and yeah, and I mean that the that the hair you can donate to, uh, I mean, for kids that suffer from cancer and stuff like that. So yeah. it's a very That's nice That's really, really nice, yeah. Yeah, to spread the word. Um, Steffi, are you still there? Yes, I am. <laughs> But I have to say, uh, and this topic is a little bit, um, uh, yeah, complex, I have to say. Any other questions? Any other things? No, I have nothing in mind today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so do you have anything special planned for your first time at Beckin? Um, I'll, I'll just try to survive. I think we have like the show like in the first day and Clemmy is actually performing twice. So because after our show, uh, she will be performing with Exit Eden as well, just right after our yeah. show on the same stage. Uh, and then the next day we're going to do a signing session, uh, I think around one or half past one in the uh, around noon. And also we're going to be participating in the uh, electronic sports lounge in the, in the gaming tent, basically. Uh, so that wow. should be fun. So there's a lot of activities planned. And of course, I want to see some bands. Um, there's some Austrian bands as well playing. Uh, I think Black and Hail from Austria. They're a pretty uh, good band from here. They have a style like uh, Machine Head. Um, mm-hmm. They're playing. So I'm trying to catch them. And obviously some of the big ones like Jewish Priest and Running Wild. So yeah, it's going to be gonna be cool. It's going to be my first back in 10 years. I've been there once before in 2008. Uh, when Iron Maiden and, and Avantasia was playing. So it's a nice anniversary for me as well to come back 10 years later and to be playing myself. So of that's course. really cool. And it's also going to be a very uh, unique thing that the weather is so uh, yes. extreme <laughs> and, and I don't predict any mud. So that's like amazing. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see when we get there. It's, you know, it's, it's Tuesday. So <laughs> let's hold our horses and see how dry it stays. But it look, it's looking good. Yeah, but wait a minute. You mentioned something about a gaming tent. Yeah, there is a gaming tent. Uh, it's, I think it's sort of promoted by the Electronic Sports League in Germany, and there will be like you know League of Legends uh, tournaments and, and other games that are being played. So if you're into video games or computer games, uh, you can go there. I think there's some some free free for all uh, games available as well, so you, everyone can play. And yeah, it should be should be fun. Whoa. And you're going to play games. Uh, I think so. I think our drummer actually signed up for some sort of tournament. I don't know uh, which one. Nice. I'll just drop, I'll just drop by and maybe play some Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's so cool. Very cool. So thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, thank you. You were welcome. It's my job after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and it's um, I think you do a very good job explaining everything and telling everybody uh, what we should actually know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, as you said, specific subject. So it's not something that uh, most people will have anything to do with in their everyday lives. But especially like there's a lot of bad press, like, for example, about uh, collective management societies like GEMA and AKM. But uh, to a certain degree, you know, I, I as a musician as well, as of course, I see us more as the good guys than as the bad guys. Uh, obviously, if you're just a consumer and not an artist yourself, you might have a different opinion on that. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it's just at the end of the day, you have to think that uh, if you want to consume music or movies or any kind of art, then you have to support the artists in a way 
that makes it possible for them to survive. And uh, of course, the best way is always to to just go to concerts and buy merchandise because that money goes most of that money goes straight to the to the artist. But at the same time, I know that uh, record companies ha- and, and labels have a very bad reputation and people always think that they are like uh, ripping the artists off and keeping most of the money or even Gamer is keeping most of the money. But the same uh, Gamer AKM, just as you mentioned, we are non, uh, non-profit organizations. So ev- all the money that we collect, we pay out to our members. Uh, for example, AKM, we have a commission fee of about not even 10%. So 10% of the money that we collect that stays with us and just finances our salaries and you know all the facilities that we need to operate. But ninety percent of the money is distributed to the artists. So it's it's not that we're making a ton of cash with this. It's just what we need to to keep going, and it's mm-hmm. really all the the artists that we're supporting. And the same is true for for labels. Um, yeah, sure, they they keep a lot of the money from from CD sales. If you're on a label, they will keep a lion's share of that, no doubt. But the purpose of a label is actually to promote you, to invest a lot of money in, in you know, advertisements and sending you on tours and, and financing uh, your recordings. And uh, if you don't have that money yourself and, you, and the label has it and, and gives it to you, then I think it's also fair that they get their share as well. So yeah. it's not just the bad guys. It's always a give and take. And uh, obviously, if you're a young artist and you end up on a label, then the first year is going to be tough. You're not going to get so much money. But if you like, you know, push through and then, you know, make yourself, make a name for yourself and then you're able to renegotiate your deals and then it's going to be a fairer game, like everywhere in life. That is true. Yeah. And very interesting to know that, of course, yeah, how you already said, um, for me also, Gema was always just the bad guys. And I remember also the situation, um, We organized a party. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a bigger one for university. And there we also had to pay yeah. these gamers. Exactly. And everyone was just <laughs> really pissed <laughs> off. And what, what, why we, why do we have to pay that? Yeah. And why do not, can we play only our music? And mm-hmm. that's, and everything is fine. But yeah, now I know it better. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. I think that's, that's the most important part that, Uh, that we are non-profit, not non-for-profit organizations, just like C3, uh, C3S is. Uh, it's not that we, that the, the, the societies uh, keep the money, it's we collect it. We are trusts, actually organized as trusts for our members and the members get the money. That's what we do. Okay. Of course, how that money is distributed, that's also sometimes being critiqued and sometimes rightfully so. I'm, I'm not going to deny that. Because of course, like if you have the the board of directors that will be the more established uh, artists and more established songwriters and and publishers, and they will try to get the most of the money for them. Mm-hmm. But that's mm. that's a problem, and we'll have the same problem in C3s as well. <laughs> if, okay, so it's the same like uh, I don't know Spotify. You also talked once exactly, yeah. an episode like that big pot yeah. principle. Where oh, okay, yeah. That's a little bit sad. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, and that's, that's uh, something for the next evolution of, <laughs> of collective. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're working on that. I mean, this is actually the job that I have. So I work uh, to make licensing contracts with digital service providers like Spotify, like Apple Music, like Deezer mm-hmm. and all, and, and yeah. how, however you may call them. Um, and, and yeah, we're constantly trying to improve the way to distribute the monies that we make and and to to make sure that even you know 
smaller artists get their share of it. But yeah, if, if there's just a pool and you have like your Metallicas and your Lady Gagas, then your smaller acts will just not get as much. That's unfortunate, uh, a, a, a sad yeah. but true truth. That would be cool if um, if that would change soon. But I, I some somewhere I read that there was a. I can tell you how to change it. Buy CDs. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> buy downloads because if you buy a download, that's like one sale just for that artist, and he gets his I don't know euro or whatever he will get from uh, an album sale. So mm-hmm. that, that's that, that's why I say the best way to support your artist is buy CDs, buy albums. Streaming is nice. It's a nice addition, but streaming really uh, is more of a promotional tool that may get you some cash, but uh, like to survive as an artist, uh, the, the big money comes from touring and from selling your own merch. That's where you can really support your bands. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's what yeah, everyone says. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, what I also always say, like buy the albums, keep the streams going. <laughs> yeah, sure. And uh, the merch is always, of course, merch and shows. Because the, the streaming is insofar also important, like because nowadays with so many people using those services, if you have a lot of fans and they stream your songs, then your songs will end up in playlists and those playlists again have a lot of subscribers and so you will reach new audience through that as well. So even if you don't make so much money from the plays that you have, you can reach uh, a new audience as well and, and they might be the fans of the future and they might come to your shows and concerts and buy the stuff there. So that's also sort of an investment there. Exactly. Wise, wise words. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope we can invite you again someday. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And uh, Steffi, yeah. do you have some words for the end? Of course I have. <laughs> Because all your listeners, don't forget to subscribe for Metal and Heels podcast on iTunes or whatever you like to listen to a podcast and you can find all the episodes at uh, www.metal-highheels.com slash podcast yeah the show notes for this specific episode are on metal-n-highheels.com slash podcast 30 the number 30 in the end and what a great number 30 episode I mean this was really really cool Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Metal High Heels, on Instagram at Metal and High Heels, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We just just posted an interview, an interview P and I did at uh, Tusca Festival with a drummer, with the drummer from the Charm the Fury, Matai Stiken. It was a very cool interview as well. Uh, there are two more from that festival coming. There's another interview that Steffi did at Dong Open Air. With? Exactly, with uh, Skardust, a symphonic metal band from Israel. Yeah, look forward. Yeah, and uh, we'll see you soon, last but not least. Big thanks to Cassandra Novell for our awesome jingle that's based on the song Storm by her band Mercy Isle. And that was it. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.